Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. All right, good morning, Beacon Church. Good to see all your smiling faces this morning. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really glad to be here together. So how many of you guys watched any portion of the Olympics a few weeks ago? Some? I heard it was like actually very low-rated Olympics, and that's why only four of you raised your hands. But I, uh, I watched a little bit of it, and I remember looking at these athletes and thinking to myself, like, what is it going to take? They're in peak physical condition. And I'm thinking, what is it going to take for me to look like that? So I looked up what it is that some of these athletes eat, and I found this one Olympian's diet that consists of this, 12,000 calories a day. Here's a picture of what he eats in a given day. Two cups of coffee, this is breakfast, just breakfast. Two cups of coffee, three fried egg sandwiches, complete with cheese, lettuce, tomatoes, fried onions, and mayonnaise, never heard of that, but ew. Uh, One five egg omelet, one bowl of porridge or oatmeal, I guess. Uh, Three slices of sugar-coated French toast, and three chocolate chip pancakes, and that was just breakfast. Yeah, and then he goes on and he eats a, two pounds of pasta and all this stuff. And I was, I was thinking, you know what, I don't know if I can swing that. You know what, I actually found videos of people trying to eat this 12,000 calorie diet. I was going to make you watch it, but I couldn't get through it because it made me never want to eat food again. So does anybody know who used to eat this diet? You That's right. It is our good, oh, is this working here? Let me see here. There we go. That's right, Michael Phelps. And uh, yeah, there's no way I could throw that down. So I was like, you know what? I might be setting my goals too high. I think maybe I should instead try to be like him, The Rock. And then I discovered that he eats seven meals a day, every single meal from, so he's got breakfast, then he's got mid-morning breakfast, then he's got lunch, then he's got mid-afternoon lunch, then late-afternoon lunch, then first dinner, and then second dinner. The dude eats seven meals a day. Everyone has a steak or a piece of fish in it. I was like, why him? Why not me? I could do that. This is his cheat day, actually, the, uh, the pancakes, an actual thing. So these guys, they train, right? These guys, they eat a diet and they train. And it feels like we've been in this series uh, in 1 Corinthians, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in Corinth. And as we have been reading it, it feels like a lot of the things that he's been saying is almost like giving us a diet for what, it's, what it means to, to follow Jesus. It feels like there's been a lot of instruction in there, asking a lot of us, right? Um, he, we did this whole thing. He talked about how, what it looks like to follow Jesus and not be divided and not be arguing and in contention with one another. He talked about what uh, the beauty and the goodness of marriage and a healthy sexual ethic and what that looks like and how good that is for the soul. Uh, we talked even in the last couple of weeks about what it looks like to lean into one another and be shaped by one another and be willing to love and serve and understand one another. And it's all these different instructions and it feels like this sort of long, exhausting list of things to do, which in a lot of ways aligns with many of our perception of what Christianity is, right? You pick up the Bible, and it sometimes tends to feel like just this long list of things to do. Do this, don't do that. You can, you can go here, you can smell this, you can touch this, but not that. And it just feels like this burdensome list of things to do. And the passage we're going to take a look at 
this morning, this next section of 1 Corinthians, it, Paul seems to recognize that he's been giving us so much instruction and he endeavors to give us some encouragement. But somehow, as I read this piece of encouragement in its own way, it felt like more burden. Let's read it together. Look at what he says. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And I, I read that, and there's part of me that feels like he is just telling us to do more and try harder and keep running hard. And there's some truth to that, but what I would challenge us to, to be open to and to think about as we unpack this today is that this is not necessarily so much a call to do more as it is a challenge to run in a certain way, to see things differently. And that's actually what Paul has been doing throughout this entire series. If you start reading through 1 Corinthians and all those different topics about division and about unity, about um, loving your, your spouse well, all the different things that he says, every one of them has to do with this idea of trying to see things just a little bit differently. So he, he uses this racing analogy he uses this racing analogy, and I want to just give us a quick sense of what it is that the readers at the time would have been hearing. So they hear this, they hear him talking about a race, and they would, their minds immediately would go to these games called the Isthmian Games. They're, they were hosted in Corinth. They were second only to the Olympics. And, uh, you know, athletes, the best athletes in the world, would come and convene in this place. And the people who were reading this at the time, they'd be thinking of some of those great athletes, the best runners, the best boxers in the fighting, in the fighting ring. They'd be thinking of, you know, like Usain Bolt, right? That guy runs, he's been clocked at running 28 miles an hour. He would get a speeding ticket in a school zone. That's crazy, right? They'd be thinking of, 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 you know, Floyd Mayweather. They'd be thinking of, like, just the, the best athletes in that area of, of, ra of running and of fighting. And Paul actually loves these racing analogies. He uses them throughout all of his writing. Um, he uses it in Acts. We're not sure if he wrote he Hebrews, but if he did, he talks about running with perseverance. Um, he says this, that we're reading right here at the very beginning of sort of his writings to various churches. And then way years later, at the very end of his life, he's actually in prison, about to get executed, and he knows it. And he says this in uh, 2 Timothy. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. You see, he's using this same analogy again with these same ideas, right? Fight, race, and crown. So there's something to this. There's something important here that I think we need to lean into. And 2 Timothy helps us see and understand even our 1 Corinthians passage just a little bit more clearly because it helps us appreciate that it's not so much about uh, a competition, that it is about how and why we run. And the how and the why we run are inextricable. They inform one another. 
And so as, as we go through this passage, if you're, uh, if you're trying to figure out like what is the main idea, if you're like a little bit of a Bible nerd and you're trying to do some like hermeneutics here, sort of like the hermeneutical main idea is, is this very simple one, which is right in the middle of this passage. Run in such a way as to get the prize. And, and you know, the Greek language actually, you know, my, my Greek professor would say that the, the magic of Greek actually comes about in the verbs because verbs in Greek have many more layers than in English necessarily. And the sentiment that's being communicated here and run in such a way as to get the prize is more like keep running, keep running in such a way as to get the prize. It's this encouragement to keep going. So what we're going to take a look at today as we unpack this a little bit and try to look at it through perhaps a different lens is that we are being encouraged to keep running with intentionality, keep running with purpose, and keep running with discipline because we are running toward a crown. Let's actually unpack that together, yes? All right, good, let's do it. All right, so we start with this. We keep running with intention. He says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. So we talk about this idea of strict training, and that's referring to this idea of like a clear-cut intention to do something. So I guess for most of you, like, I don't know, I guess if you're over 30 or so, do you, do you, do you guys remember like your phone number, your childhood phone number from, from your home phone? That was a thing for, for those younger folks. There was actually a, a phone in the house that would ring. Um, and we, we needed to give that number to people. So anybody remember their home phone number a little bit, right? Yeah, I know, most of us do. And now, I don't know a single phone number. I don't know anybody's phone number because they're all stored in here. The same way, if I'm trying to get anywhere, uh, somehow Google and Apple Maps, like, they know where I'm going before, like, I get in the car and it knows where I'm going. And it offers me, like, directions to where I'm going. And I just have to click it and I go there. And, but we do get in the car desiring to have some type of a roadmap that will take us from here to there. We don't just get in the car and start driving aimlessly. If there are any runners in the house, right? Some of you guys, right? Yeah, sure. And when you set out to run, you don't just get, walk out of your house and just start running, right? Oh, right, right here, left here. Ooh, there's a bird. Let me chase that. That's not what we do, right? We lay out a plan. We lay out a path. And we know how far we're running. That's why you come home and you're like, I just ran seven miles, right? Because you know exactly which way you were running. And that's the idea that he's trying to communicate here, that we have a plan, an intention, an intended goal. And followers of Jesus are already on a path. They're already on a plan that started with coming to the point that we acknowledge and recognize that trying to define right and wrong, good and evil on our own leads to this place of confusion, of me just trying to justify my own existence at every turn. And it's this path where the next step helps, allows for us to understand and accept that long before there was a you or there was a me, there was a God that saw the brokenness of the human condition and decided himself to pave a way to give you a new heart and give me a new heart and, and transform us into the people that we were created to be. And there's this next step in the path that says that, that helps us see that there were consequences to me trying to define good and evil for myself and consequences for the ways that I have contributed to the broken world around us, to the greed and to the selfishness that marks our society. And I've contributed to that. 
And it's a path that believes that God himself took on flesh in Jesus Christ and bore upon himself all of the consequences of the ways that I have contributed to breaking our world by dying on a cross and rising again, that the, the, the newness on the other side of his resurrection becomes our newness. It becomes my newness. And, and it's this path that as Jesus rises from the dead, that, that he says that the guilt and the shame and the depression and the isolation and the desolation and, and the distance from God that we've all experienced does not have the last word. And it's this path that says, in the risen Jesus, everything that he has done for you invites you to experience the fullness and the newness of life, of who you were intended to be. New people in a new community, bringing about a new world, not by anything that we do or have come up with, but because of what was given to us. And that's the reason why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, in his second letter to the Corinthians, he says, such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. It was given completely to us. And yet, so there's this path of the good news about Jesus Christ where he has done everything. And yet, when we think about this, the next step in our path, we think that we are the ones who are responsible to make it all happen. I am going to turn this around. And I am the one who's going to control the next step in the path. D.A. Carson, a, the a theologian, uh, had this great framework to help us understand that, yes, God is inviting us to keep running, to keep going down this path, but he is asking us to do so in a term that D.A. Carson calls grace-driven effort empowered by God. He said this, people do not drift toward holiness apart from grace-driven effort. People do not gravitate toward godliness, towards prayer, towards obedience, towards scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. And this idea of grace-driven purpose, grace-driven intentionality, is actually an exciting thing to plan our journey of walking with Jesus toward what it means to become the person that he created us to be. It is not planning a running route when you hate running. It is not eating your vegetables. It's in fact planning for and packing for an exciting trip that you've been waiting for, where you'll encounter beauty that you never imagined. You'll encounter adventures that you never conceived of. So we think it's about us doing more and us being the ones that control and plan the next steps. But it's not necessarily about us holding on tightly and trying to get control. It's about us actually giving up that control and allowing for God to work in and, and through us. And this, uh, a plan and an intention to be able to follow Jesus and step more deeply into this thing that he's inviting us into does require that intentionality. If we don't plan a time to pray, we won't. If we don't plan a time to open up God's word, as ill-equipped as we might feel sometimes to do it, and just ask him to speak to us through it, we will not open it. If we don't create margin to be with his people and experience community, we're a family here at Beacon. We experience the presence of Jesus through one another. It's an amazing and powerful thing. I know that God loves me because of the way that you guys love me. 
I know that God is compassionate and generous because of the way that you guys show compassion and generosity towards me. That is the beauty and the goodness of a new community made up of new people who are following Jesus and living in the way that we were created to live. It's awesome. And if we don't create the space to live in that community, we won't. And if we don't plan to give our time and our energy away freely, we will hoard it, always. I need to hear this message too, because you know what? There's, I, I have had plans of my own of how to follow Jesus, and I've tried to control them, and they invariably fail. And even when I try to stay on them, sometimes they start, I just start to wander off. But he's inviting us to keep running with intention. Strict training, as he calls it. What else does he say here? He invites us to keep running with purpose, right? He says, uh, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. <laughs> so running with no idea where you're going is this image that comes to my mind, right? Have you ever seen, like, so when my kids were little, we'd take them to the park, and we'd, like, when they were really little, we'd put them down and in a field, and then, especially my older one, I remember, like, he would just start running. He'd just start flailing his arms, and, and, and he'd just start running. We were just like, where is he going? And he's like, he doesn't know. He's just running, and he'll see, like, a corner at the baseball field or something, and he'll turn the corner, and we'll be like, whoa, we better go after him. I guess he's going somewhere. But it's this idea of just, like, running aimlessly. If you were to, if, for those of you who are runners, or even if you're driving your car, if you get out and you just start running, and you make a right, and make another right, then you make a left, then you make two more rights, and if you're driving your car, you just keep going and keep going, then all of a sudden things start to look less familiar, Right? And you just keep, keep going, make another right, take this exit, make another left, and you just keep going. And what is it that you find as time goes on? You're lost, right? Because you're not following a, the, the plan, the intentionality that was necessary. And the thing is this, guys. That act is not always like an intentional thing where you go out of your house and you're like, I'm going to start running without a plan. I'm going to start running aimlessly. It's a drift, it happens slowly. So just to make you guys jealous one more time, uh, I, Sherry and I, my wife, we went on vacation to the Dominican Republic last week. It was awesome. It was, uh, we were on the beach. You guys don't remember what a beach is, but you will. Summer's coming back. All right. Uh, we were just there for a couple of days, but we loved it. So I, was, I went out into the water with my brother-in-law. And um, you know how it is when you're out in the water on the beach? Like the waves are kind of moving. We're kind of moving with it. And then we looked back on the beach and we were like, did my wife and my sister-in-law, like, did they just leave? Did they just ditch us? Because we couldn't find them anymore. Uh, and what had happened was, what? We slowly drifted down the shoreline, right? We didn't even realize it. We were just talking. We thought we hadn't moved an inch. The reality is they didn't move. We moved. And it was this gradual drift that took place. D.A. Carson, in that same quote where he talks about grace-driven um, effort, says this. He says, we drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. So here's the thing, like you look at this sort of steady drift that happens in life and we, and you know, running aimlessly actually might feel good for a moment. But what it does is a right here and a left here and another right and then two more lefts and then a right and it leaves us feeling lost. So how do we run with purpose? And it is to follow 
this intentional plan that God is inviting us into to walk with Jesus toward who he's created us to be, to stay the course, to run with purpose and stay the course and to do that in community. You know, I I think I told you guys that like, you know, I've been feeling like this course that I know that I should follow to, to serve and follow and walk with Jesus well, I sense myself falling off of it. And you know what I also am sensing is, is directly tied to that? It's that I'm trying to stay on this path by myself. And, and lately, I've been reaching out more to just close friends and inviting my, 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 my wife into more of, of walking with me so we can walk together toward Jesus. Because that is the beauty and the goodness of the community and the family of God, that we walk together toward this. And it's not burdensome because we're experiencing God's presence as we go. We're experiencing God's God's warmth and his compassion and his presence walking with us down this road. This road that is all full of his work on our behalf, walking with us toward who we were created to be. We also, we keep running with what I'm going to call self-discipline. Look at what he says here. He says, I talk, I mean, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, this idea of self-discipline, do we have any like athletes in the house? I know we've got a few runners, right? Anybody else like play in a basketball league or like, all right, we're starting one because I think we all got to like get a little more active here. All right, we're starting a running club and we're starting a basketball league and any other sports that anybody else likes. So, so any athlete will know that this idea of disciplining yourself is, is, is central, right? The Rock, Michael Phelps, like those guys are disciplined. Um, but as I was thinking it through, um, I automatically think about like their work, workout regimen and I think about the way that they um, control their diet and all of the things that they do, and it seems to me like, ooh, that doesn't sound, that sounds like hardship. It sounds like burden. And it got me thinking about what it is that Paul is saying. There's this very interesting relationship between burden and freedom, the way Paul sees it. So I was thinking about, well, how would The Rock and me see, see uh, freedom and burden play against one, one another? Well, um, I think we could both agree, both The Rock and me, my friend, Dwayne, I call him, Um, we both agree that an excess of chocolate cake is objectively bad for both of us. Yeah? You would agree with that? Um, So I say that I am free to eat chocolate cake anytime I want. So I'll have one slice and I'll have two slices and maybe I'll have three and maybe maybe I'll just eat the whole thing. I don't know. Right? And The Rock, he doesn't see me eating an entire chocolate cake and he doesn't say, wow, that guy is free. What does he say? He looks at me eating that entire cake and he says, that guy is enslaved because the cake owns him as opposed to him eating what portion of the cake that he wants. He'd look at me and say, Justin, you just think you're free that you can eat as much cake as you want. But the fact that you're eating this entire cake says you're not free. You're actually enslaved. And... What Paul is getting at here is that self-discipline is not slavery. It is, in fact, freedom. 
So this may or may not be based on a true story, but um, let's just say some guy bought a new house recently and then was really excited and saved up money and bought this nice 4K TV that he was really excited about. And he hung it up on his wall um, and he turned it on and all of a sudden he's like, well, now the sound isn't that great. Like, I guess because it's against the wall, it doesn't sound that great. So you know what I think I need? I think I need like a sound bar. I mean, not I, whoever this person, this imaginary person is. So you know what he might need is a sound bar. So he's like, all right, now I've got to run out and buy a sound bar. So he buys a sound bar, and then he puts it up, and he's like, he thinks to himself, you know what, the sound is a little, like, tingy. Like, it's a little high pitch. You know what I think he needs? A subwoofer, right? So he runs out, and he buys a subwoofer, and he puts that in, right? He's like, yeah, all right, good. Now this sounds good. And then he sees that Netflix is now offering um, sound in, like, Dolby Atmos surround sound. But you know what the problem is? There's no speakers behind him. So maybe he needs to just run out and just buy a couple more speakers. So he sets up this whole system, and it sounds great. And then he sees a commercial for the company that designed the whole thing, and they're advertising that they're just coming out with the latest edition of this thing, and now his whole system is obsolete. <laughs> and you can't add to it anymore, and you can't do anything else with it. I, I, listen, it's always one thing after another, isn't it? it? It feels like freedom to just go ahead and keep buying this stuff, but before you know it, it's not that you have the thing, it's that the thing has you. And that is, that is what happens with so much of the way that we treat the things around us. And Paul consistently frames this interesting relationship between discipline and freedom. Just a chapter ago, Trevor was talking to us about how, how Paul himself, just a few paragraphs before the one we looked at, says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Right? That's what he says in Galatians. I'm sorry. In the passage right before that, he says, um, oh, that's okay. We're missing a slide. That's all right. Don't worry about it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, though I'm free to belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. There's this tension between what he sees as freedom and then what he sees as bondage. And what he's getting at is this. Self-discipline is not bondage. Self-discipline is freedom. And we are invited into that. And this is about a life lived, not just talked about. Living and stepping into what it truly means to be free. To know that God himself is the one that's empowering us. That we don't need to beat ourselves into submission. But in fact, he actually is empowering us to experience and taste true freedom when we step into discipline that is empowered by grace-driven effort. And, and, you know, that's the reason why, even when I think about this being a life lived, not just talked about, he says, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, after I have said some things, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And guys, I have really grappled with this. I was grappling with this quite a bit, even this morning. I, 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 on my way here, just, just fighting for this, this morning. Fighting for this truth and this reality to be deeply downloaded into my own heart as we talk about this and grow in this together. So what I'm saying here is this is not me saying, hey gang, I have this figured out. You should, uh, you know, just do this. I'm saying we are in this together, family. That we are, we are taking these steps together to, to lean into this reality that we are loved and we are valued and we are treasured and we are empowered by God 
to experience the goodness of what he has for us as we walk with intentionality, as we walk with purpose, and as we walk with discipline, which leads to real freedom. So if those are all the how, how is it that we keep running? Maybe the question that informs it all is why. Why do we keep running? And it's because we're running toward a crown. Let's take a look at what he says. He says, they do it to get a crown that will not last. They being the athletes. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So the crown that they're talking about at the Isthmian Games was whoever won this race or won this boxing match would get this little crown that was made up of um, like pine leaves. And he's saying that, of course, you know, how long is that little crown made of pine leaves going to last? Not long, right? It'll, it'll deteriorate after a while. They get money for winning the race, but I think we all know how fast money comes and goes, right? Um, they, get, they get some fame, uh, but I think we know how that comes and goes, right? Um, in 2018, the marathon record was set two hours and one minute. Somebody ran a marathon in two hours and one minute. I remember it was big news at the time. Anybody here remember his name? No. Neither do I. In fact, I didn't even write it down because I thought I would remember it, and I don't. That's really sad. Um, so, you know, fame comes and goes. And here, Paul is telling us that we're not going after this crown that comes and goes, but one that lasts forever. And I think the misconception about the crown that he's talking about that's promised here is that we tend to think that if we do all these things, if we run with intentionality and purpose and discipline, if we do all these things, then someday we're going to be zapped out of here and thrust into a place called heaven, and then we're going to get a larger mansion and a nicer car and more stuff in some distant place called heaven. And what that suggests is that what Jesus promises in the gospel is nothing more than delayed gratification, right? It's that, like, hey, you can either... We shouldn't be going after sort of the narcissistic, consumeristic, pleasure-seeking-at-all-costs pursuit of things now, but if we hold off now, we'll get it later. And that's how we tend to think what these crowns are, but, friends, it is so, so much more than that. I'll tell you one thing. There's very little talk in the scriptures about specifically what it is, but when Jesus talks about it, he says that these crowns are promised, that are promised are honor from God. They are actually more responsibility in its own way because he talks about a crown that will last forever. He is talking about this bigger picture. He is hearkening back. The crown that lasts forever is hearkening back to who you were created to be who you were created to be. He's hearkening back to your original design, to living in the fullness of who you were created to be. He's hearkening back to this description that you find in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 126, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over all things. You see, that's what we were created for. The crown that awaits us is this beautiful opportunity to partner with God and live in, in, in the fullness of what it means to, uh, to, be, to rule with him under his authority, to cultivate his good world. We were created to partner with God in his image, to rule and to cultivate his good world. And so we run toward a crown which we fully 
uh, in which we fully experience that renewed partnership with God in our restored world. It's a crown that will be fully realized in a day in the future, but what we're running toward has already come in, in a way in Jesus Christ. You know, the, the Bible talks about, uses sort of this royalty language with respect to the followers of, of Jesus in so many different places, right? It says we are a royal priesthood. What it's getting at, it's this, it's this reigning language, this idea that we were created to bring about God's good world, to cultivate the goodness of his world. This is the reason why when Jesus gives perhaps the most beautiful description of his restored, renewed world in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you've heard of it. And he talks about how all of these things, how his, his world is marked by goodness and it's marked by generosity and it's marked by compassion, not by greed and selfishness. It is a new way of being human, a new way of living in his world. And what he's getting at here when he says this crown, he's hearkening back to the fact that you and me and everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ is given a new heart and a new spirit and empowered to bring about his renewed world. So we think that the prize is like, okay, it's going to be like a mansion and a Mercedes in the future. But it's what we're doing right now in the power of Jesus being completed is the prize that we await. So, so the, prize for, um, the prize for raising kids, like we just saw here, this beautiful dedication of these beautiful, beautiful kids the prize for raising these kids and committing them to, to grow in the ways of the Lord and to know God and to experience his presence and to make a difference and to change the world, the prize for doing those things is that, we, that they grow into kids who experience God's presence and change the world. And the prize for showing compassion and generosity is that someone else has experienced the compassion and generosity of God and they are drawn closer to him and lean more richly into his renewed, restored world that we are bringing about right here in this family, right here in this place, on this piece of dirt on Long Island right now. And that's the beauty and the power. And there is going to come a day we're doing it imperfectly now, empowered by God, and there are still miles to go. And we set that plan and we take one step after another after another. And there is going to come a day that when Jesus returns that it is going to be fully and finally realized. But what an awesome thing, friends. We are encouraged right now to run, to keep running with intention and keep running with purpose and keep running with discipline because we are running toward this crown that has already started. That is an amazing and powerful thing. Friends, your potential as a follower of Jesus, as a person with this new heart and this new spirit within you is limitless. It is limitless. That we are already a royal priesthood. There is no limit to what you can do and the ways in which you can bring about the renewal of God's world. And if you don't follow Jesus yet, please know this, that God is inviting you into the fullness of who you, he created you to be. If you have this sense that things are not right in the world, 
okay? Things are not right. We look at this crisis um, in Russia and Ukraine. We look at the genocides in Africa. We look at all the different things that are happening, and something is not right. Let's zoom in a little bit. We look at the way that people are, um, are, are selfish and self-seeking so often and cutthroat in our workplaces, and something doesn't feel right. Okay, then you take it into our homes, and we, we, we fight and we disagree with our spouse, and we have, um, we have hurt and we have trauma, and something doesn't feel right, and then you bring it all the way down to yourself, and, and you sense isolation and loneliness and depression, and something is not right. And what we are being invited into, what the good news of Jesus Christ is inviting us into, is that all of that brokenness, yes, it comes with consequences, and all of those consequences have been paid for by Jesus himself. He died and he rose again. And when he rose, he's saying to you and he's saying to me that death does not have the last word over you. Depression and isolation and distance from God and not feeling like you are who you were created to be does not have the last word over you. And that is the beauty of this message, friends. That is the beauty of this invitation to keep running, to keep running with intentionality to keep running with purpose, and to keep running with discipline because we are bringing about God's renewed world. We are running toward the full realization of what it means to partner with God again to cultivate his world together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we are just so, so grateful for your goodness, for your presence Thank you that you are here among us and there is not a person in this room that you have forgotten, that you know the name, your word tells us that you have the hairs on our head numbered, not counted, you have them numbered. And you have that being so for eight billion people because you love us that richly, you are that near to us. So God, we are so grateful for that reality. We are so grateful that you are not done with humanity. You are not done with this project here on earth, but instead you are bringing about something new. You are replacing greed and selfishness with generosity and compassion, and that you are bringing that about through people who are giving their lives to you, and you are giving us new hearts, risen new hearts, risen spirits from you, and empowering us to do that. God, thank you that we do not have to keep running in our own strength, because I know I've tried, and I know it's exhausting, and I never seem to quite stay on track. But thank you that in your grace and in your power, you give us the strength, and you empower us to follow you. So God, I pray that you would cause us to do that even just a little bit more, take one more step down this path, and that we would keep running with intentionality and keep running with purpose and keep running with discipline towards this crown that you are inviting us toward. We love you so much. We're grateful that you are doing amazing things here in this family, here on our island and beyond. And we are trusting you to continue to hold our future. So we love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.